Tax the rich. Hey girls and guys, I'm Brandy with an eye and this is Did You Hear the News? Where the money reside. That's exactly where President Biden is looking to go to fund his sweeping infrastructure bill. Now, once again, this is a two plan bill. The first plan has already been sort of leaked. Um, We got more information about what he wants to do with that first part, which includes roads, bridges, broadband, healthcare, childcare elder care, all of that information, a lot of things that Republicans said they felt like was not infrastructure, but President Biden was like, uh, elections have consequences. I made the rules. So he is expected to announce his plan to pay for this infrastructure bill because the point of it is to pay for it up front, um, that we don't owe anything on the back end. So basically up front, he would say, hey, we're going to raise taxes, you know, and it's going to pay for itself over this certain amount of years, which I think is 15 years for, I think, about eight years worth of work to, you know, realize the plan. So it is expected that President Biden is, of course, going to raise taxes on corporations, which I discussed before. Um, right now, the tax is at 21%. It was 35 under President Obama. Uh, he wants to go somewhere in the middle and make it 28%, which Republicans still are like, that's that much. So we'll see how that goes. I think it's a perfect middle ground. I also am not a corporation making billions, but there have been billionaires and corporations who said they back um, raising taxes on corporations. Jeff Bezos said he's down with it. I mean, what else can he say? He can't say nothing else. I mean, it is what it is, but he said he's cool with it. Some other corporations have said they're fine with it. And President Biden is also expected to raise taxes on capital gains. Now, if you're not familiar with what capital gains are, capital gains are a tax basically on the growth in value of investments occurred. So if you have some investments and they've been growing in value and then you decide to sell them, you're going to get taxed basically on that increased value. And um, if you hold on to it, you don't sell it, you don't get taxed. Um, and I think you've had to have had it for like over a year. So it's it's going to be on like old investments that have been realized which is what happens when you sell it or whatnot so he wants to raise that tax to i think about 39.6 percent once again this is only for individuals who earn a million dollars or more so if you bought a couple of dollars in stock for like lyft or some booming 
new marijuana company and you've only made $20 on it. This is not you. We're not talking about you. We're talking about if you have any investments that grew in excess of a million dollars, you would be the one who would be taxed. I think a lot of us, when we hear taxes are going up, we just immediately freak out because we think that we're going to wake up tomorrow and be millionaires and billionaires. And I get that the American dream is that anything can happen, but I just really want y'all to realize that like it's it's not something that happens overnight. So anyways, moving on. That's his idea uh, in terms of taxing uh, millionaires and billionaires and wealthy people. Once again, he had to tell you guys multiple times as he was running and even now that he does not plan on raising taxes on anyone who's making less than $400,000. And that is the bulk of us. That's like the 99% of us who are not making over $400,000 annually. Like he wants to tax wealth. His big idea was that we should be taxing the wealthy, not the workers. So Obviously, I don't have no problem with it because as a lowly peasant, I'm already paying taxes more than our self-proclaimed billionaire former president paid. So I'm not mad at any of these corporations that made a combination of a trillion dollars during a pandemic when you know some of us were getting evicted from our homes and worrying about how we were going to eat and feed our families i'm not mad at them getting taxed at all tax it all tax their bit of it amen President Biden also, in time for Earth Day, decided to announce that he's going to seek to cut greenhouse emissions by at least 50%. I think the highest number I saw was 52% um, by the year 2030. Now, that gives y'all nine years to get it together. And it's a very lofty goal. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to rest assured that he has some sort of a plan. I'm sure it's wrapped up in this new infrastructure because climate and energy is wrapped up in this infrastructure bill. So a lot of the experts are like, "Mm, Joe, slow it down a little bit. Um, But because I think two years ago it was, or maybe in 2019 or 2017, I can't remember exactly the date, we were at like, we had cut it at 12%. And now he's saying like an additional 40%. Um, We'll just have to see how that goes. I know that, you know, as individuals, we can work to try to do what we can to save the climate, but it's really going to take these big corporations to try to do more to help the climate. Like, Sure, I can go get an electric car. That's the one personal thing that I can do. But like companies have to create electric cars and they have to make them affordable. And then they have to use, you know, different things and means to run their businesses 
like it's going to take all of us and you know how america is we couldn't even come together to fight a pandemic so i don't want to say we can't do it i just want to say i'm gonna wait and see president biden is expected to give a joint address next week which will technically be this week when you ever listen to the podcast i think it's going to be on wednesday he's going to address the joint congress and i think he's going to lay out um a lot of these plans especially the tax plan um he did put like some information out but um the understanding is that that could even change by the time he actually does uh his session in the congress so I guess we'll just have to wait and see um, what he's talking about there. We did hear from him a lot this week, not just with, um, you know, talking about infrastructure and talking about, you know, the first 100 days are almost up and how we've reached that goal of 200 million shots in arms by that um, first 100 days. There was a lot of talk about racial injustice and all of that stuff they were talk about gun laws uh, especially in the past uh two weeks since i was uh missing in action last week thanks for uh, my pfizer shot thanks to them um there's just been a, a lot going on he's had to be in the forefront he's had to be that consoler in chief to many different people to many different families so He's out in these streets, even though Republicans want you to believe um, that he is not visible enough and we can't tell who's really running things since we don't see him every day and he's not tweeting crazy tweets at 2 a.m. in the morning. I'm talking to you, Senator John Cornyn. Anyways, the Senate has also been working the senate and the house they have been working um not really that much together but surprisingly the senate did come together to pass the hate crimes bill against uh asian americans and pacific islanders basically it's to denounce discrimination against those communities uh, they want to create new positions in the Justice Department to expedite reviews of potential COVID-19 related hate crimes because, you know, the former guy kept calling it the Kung Flu and the China virus and really radicalized his base of people who already hate minorities to actually want to take physical action against um, Asian Americans. So those cases that can, you know, number one, are reported and can be proven will um, basically have uh, an expedited review in the uh, Department of Justice. It would also direct the Department of Justice and Health and Human Services to issue guidance raising awareness of hate crimes during the pandemic and to work with agencies to establish online reporting of them. Because once again, as I said, a lot of the times these crimes aren't reported. So, um I feel like if there's a way that you could easily go in and report your hate crimes online, we'll see a certain spike, a significant spike, shall I say, because I know that a lot of people probably just aren't even going like to the police and saying, hey, like I've been assaulted or, you know, I had a crime committed against me because I'm Asian. Some people just try to 
shake it off and and move on. But I think that would be a good thing. We're dealing with a pandemic. Like the police are killing us. Random people are killing us. And then the last thing you want is to just be trying to mind your business and somebody attack you because your whole community has been vilified over a virus that you didn't even bring to the U.S. But anyways, so that was what the Senate did this week together. Shock and surprise. Um, But then the House actually passed a bill um, that would seek to make D.C. a state. Now, could we be more polarized on anything Of course, Democrats are saying it's not about power. It's about representation. There are, I think, about 750,000 people in um, D.C., more people than are in Wyoming, more people than live in Vermont, and they have no representation. They have a delegate who... Goes to Congress, but she can't vote on anything. They are taxed without representation. And that's not how it's supposed to be. That's how they feel. And um, so Democrats are saying it's about representation for people, especially minorities, because we know that D.C. has a large minority population, a high concentration of African-American citizens, uh, if you would. So... The issue is they don't have any representation. They don't have a delegate that could vote. They don't have senators that can vote on their behalf. So statehood would give them that. But Republicans feel like it's just a power grab from the Democrats to get to Democratic centers. And we know that Republicans would never, ever, try to use their tools to grab and keep power. They would never hold up a Supreme Court justice nominee or ram through another one in like two weeks. They never do that. They would never do that. So they have an issue with the Democrats trying to make D.C. a state because they feel like it's just them trying to grab power and keep power. And they have suggested cutting D.C. basically in half and giving one part to Maryland and the other part to Virginia. And voila, it's all figured out. And honestly, truly, I'm just like, whatever. Like, whatever. It's not even that. It's some of the arguments that they made against making D.C. a state were just... It was basically like, but what about the whites? (laughs) Like, it's so funny because Mondaire Jones actually got up and he got some heated response from Republicans. Um, When he called out some of the wording they used, uh, I think he said specifically, that's a lot of syllables to say white. (sighs) I chuckled. I really did. Uh, And then at one point, he, 
he called it a racist trash to which they really got super offended and were like, we want you to strike that from the record. And he conceded, but he was like, I just want y'all to know that we see the racism. Like, whether you want it on the record or not, I want you to know that I see it. So, yeah, that one is highly contested. But, of course, it passed in the House because Democrats are the majority. Now, when it gets to the Senate... it's not gonna pass in the senate we already know that i mean we have once again like i said ted cruz basically saying it was a a power grab ted cruz opening his mouth about anything is just too much for me so you know how i feel about that but that's gonna be um really interesting to see i don't know if they'll bring it to a vote they clearly don't have the votes for that one uh, because they're not even sure if, you know, all Democratic senators like Joe Manchin would actually be on board with that. So cool beans getting it through the House. I I think this might be like the second time they voted on it. I'm not sure, but cool beans on getting it through the House. I think it's going to be stalled in the Senate. And that's just that on that. Speaking of things being stalled in the Senate, um, Vanita Gupta was finally confirmed this past week. I mean, just it took way too long for that to be done, but she was considered just so radical that they just could not get it together on whether to pass her through. But it was actually... Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, who voted with the Democrats, apparently she had a talk with Vanita and she felt that Vanita's explanations or, you know, her atonement for whatever radical things she once thought in the past uh, were enough for her. So Vice President Kamala Harris did not have to break the tie because Lisa Markowski voted with the Democrats. And now Vanita Gupta is the Associate Attorney General, uh, which she absolutely deserves to be um, really excited about it because um, it wasn't just her. It was another nominee, Kristen Clark, who um, they both, her and Vanita Gupta, were both like civil rights attorneys, which I think is a big deal. And I think that's kind of perfect for what uh, President Biden is going for with his attorney general's office. And clearly he picked them for a reason. And clearly there's a reason Republicans don't care for them and call them radical. It's like, oh my God, would who I would want people to have civil rights. How radical be that? It's just whatever. But they've both been confirmed and we'd love to see it. Maybe one of their first orders of business can be looking into these ridiculous laws passed in Florida and Oklahoma when it comes to protesting. Governor 
Ron DeSantis, I told y'all he don't care about us. He didn't care if we got vaccinated. He didn't care if we lived or died. Florida has been open. I mean, wide open like the Grand Canyon since I think September 2020. He also signed a bill into law about protests and rioting for no reason because there weren't any riots in Florida last year during George Floyd protests. Um, Even he said that that the protests were peaceful, but he just wants to make sure that everybody thinks of Florida as a paradise where Mickey Mouse lives and not places where people riot, not like Seattle and Portland, because never, we would never want to be like them, even though when people hear the term Florida man or Florida woman, they already immediately think that it's going to be some ish because it normally is, but no. Ron DeSantis wants y'all to think of Florida as Mickey Mouse's home where we have pristine beaches and not people who eat others' faces while they're on bath salts. And so he passed this bill in which it appears that business owners, I guess if a riot breaks out, they can actually sue their local governments for you know the damages or whatnot they've raised the charges for if you happen to be in a riot and it's peaceful and for some reason it gets out of hand and you're just there like you can be charged for a felony now and guess what happens when you have a felony you can't vote here in florida He knows what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. We see right through it. But of course, he's like, no, like, we just want to make sure that we're protecting Floridians. Like, this is something I said I was going to do and I had to deliver. Because when it comes to taking rights away from black and brown people, you better bet I'm going to do it every time. And he did. He did it around the whitest McWhitey bunch of folks I've ever ever seen i mean brian kemp's little voter signing ceremony had nothing on this because he let the sheriff from polk county get on the mic and baby i've never i've never i've never heard such he said something to the effect of if you want to move down here from the north just don't go voting like you voted up there because you don't want to see what's gonna happen like sir what are you even talking about like it's the racism it's so deep it's so strong it's so blatant it's just ridiculous and then in oklahoma you have the governor signing a bill that protects people who hit other people with their cars when they're protesting it basically makes it like a crazy souped up charge to I guess block intersections when you're protesting okay cool but like legit saying let's protect people who run their cars through crowds of people while protesting like crazy like maybe you can take a detour like no we would we would never want you to do anything like that. We just want you to hit the gas and worry about it later. Don't don't worry. We'll protect you. Like this is the kind of stuff that some of the governors in our nation are doing. Like no, we could care less about protecting 
black and brown people from police violence. Like, <laughs> what? Why would why would we ever do that? But let's sign these laws that make sure that we continue to criminalize protesters who are just doing what they have a right to do as far as the Constitution says. I foresee it not only affecting people of color. I, that's clearly the target, right? But it's not only going to affect people of color um, because remember when your former president made it like a mandatory 10-year sentence if you happen to tear down any statues or monuments and then a whole group of his supporters like legit went to the Capitol and tore that place up and put their feces on the walls. So... It's not just going to affect black and brown people, but it is aimed at black and brown people. There's really no other way to go about it. It's not like it was something that came about after the Capitol. No, this has been in the works since around the time of the George Floyd protests last summer. So, okay, cool. We see how y'all work. We see how y'all do. Um... I don't expect much more from Ron DeSantis anyway. The whole thing reeks of protecting police officers as they continue to have the authority and broad power to terrorize black and brown people. Speaking of the terror of black and brown people at the hands of police, this next conversation I'm about to have is so important um especially given everything that's gone on the past couple of weeks um the events that led up to Derek Chauvin's trial the verdict the events that occurred during and after said verdict um I thought it was important to have my next guest on to discuss those things Allow me to introduce to you Laquana Askew. She is the research associate for the Correctional Management Institute of Texas at Sam Houston State University. She received her master's in criminology in 2014 from the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. Go see how her research experience lies in prisoner reentry, correctional programming and evaluation, specialty courts, corrections, sex offender treatment and rehabilitation, and mass incarceration. So Laquana, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. It's been a long time since we talked. We both went to UNCW, graduated uh, class of 2011, uh, served in MPHC together. That was a fun time. Uh, So it's been a long time since we talked. We do to keep up with each other on social media. So I did want to just kind of have a conversation with you about all of the happenings this past week and past two, three weeks, actually, especially with the Derek Chauvin trial that took about, I think it was three weeks of uh, witnesses and testimonies. There were like over 40 witnesses, oh, like, 30 of 36, 38 of those were actually for the defense. I mean, um, the um, prosecution, the defense didn't have a lot of witnesses, which I thought was really interesting. And then the witnesses they had were not very strong, which um, that's another conversation for another day. But 
They <laughs> did about three weeks of that. They did the closing statements on Monday. So the prosecution was able to, so they do their closing statement. The defense has a chance to rebut and then the prosecution has a chance to come back and rebut. So the first um, closing statement, I think was about like an hour and 30 minutes, maybe. Then the defense came back. He talked for like two hours. And at this point, like it was their own central time in Minnesota and I'm on East Coast. So I think it was about like three o'clock my time when the judge was like, hey, we need to take a break because I know these people are hungry. So they took a break <laughs> and then they came back. I don't know if he, I don't know if the defense talked for long after they came back because at that point, I think everybody was like, like, wrap it Let's up. Let's move it along. Yeah, yeah. like, wrap yeah. it up. So um, then the, the prosecution did come back and um, the first part of it was more about like, kind of like the science and like you know they had all of those um like actual medical professionals right so they kind of like talked to that they weaved it together very well they used like clips of like different parts of you know the day and all the different footage like camera footage the footage from darnella frazier which was a young girl who recorded the original video that went viral the you know surveillance all of that stuff they like weaved it together and it was like it was really i think effective uh the defense came back and he just kind of like rambled on with the video as we you know know it 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 wasn't really weaved together he had apologized in the beginning he was like i'm gonna talk long and i was like jesus uh, and he really did because he's like, I don't have a chance to come back after this. And I was like, I know, but like, try to make it, try to make it work. Yeah. Um, but then after that, they came back, the prosecution with kind of more of like the human aspect of it. Uh, and the, I thought it was like brilliant. The last thing that the prosecution said was like, you keep hearing about how George Floyd's heart was like enlarged or it was too big but the issue was that Derek Chauvin's heart was too small and I was like god yeah yeah well and I think I think that it really goes to show and I'm sorry if I'm jumping ahead but it it goes to show with how quickly the verdict came back Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that I mean it took them like a day it was 10 hours they did yeah. once they wrapped up the closing arguments. I think they um was four hours that day, and then the next day they did six. I yeah. was not ex- I don't know what I was expecting because we, you know, they had professionals and like you know people that were prosecutors and all that saying like it could take a day, it could take weeks. So I was like, oh my god, like if we have to wait weeks. And I, I honestly thought that it would be weak. I honestly was so shocked at how quickly the verdict came back. But you know what's so sad is that it shouldn't have, none of us should have thought it would take weeks right. when what we saw was so concise, you know? Like the prosecution made an excellent case. They had all the witnesses there and... I honestly tried to watch it with, 
like, of course I was biased, but I tried to watch it with an open mind, like a juror to say, okay, like I'm looking at the defense, like change my mind. Right. And I'm just like, he, he didn't do it. No, he didn't. And I'm like, I don't watch a lot of, I don't know if it's like, I don't watch a lot of court cases or whatnot, but I don't know. I just expected so much more from the defense, especially with a case like that. But I was like, is he going into this really thinking that like he has the upper hand? I didn't know what to make of it. Yeah. And, you know, so we, we talked before and I, I couldn't watch the trial. Um, I didn't even watch the video. Uh, that went viral after the Philando Castile murder. I couldn't, I couldn't do anymore. So I decided that I wasn't going to watch anything. Um, but I think that one of the reasons why we expected it to be so long for the verdict to go out for so long is because it's happened time and time again. The the state always imposes violence against black body um police were never created to to protect and serve us so i think that we just all thought it was going to be what it's always been we we didn't think that and i i don't like saying okay justice was served because in my opinion justice being served is is valuing black lives enough so that instances of state sanctioned violence don't continuously happen. Exactly. And, and so this verdict, it, it represents accountability and I was glad to see it, you know? Um, but it also makes me question, where do we go from here? Right. Like, what does that look like? And I honestly think that this verdict is going to do one or two things. It, it's going to either make <clears throat> police encounter with black folks either more dangerous or it's going to allow the movement to kind of rest and take a break. I mean, with not even in 24 hours, a juvenile, a child guilty or not, what I don't, whatever your opinions on, on it is a child was murdered by police. Right. And, and guilty or not, you're still not supposed to die at the hands of the Right. They hadn't even announced the verdict. I think they had said they had a verdict, but I don't even think they had announced it. And at the same time, that was occurring. Right. And at the same time of the trial, we have the death of Dante um, Wright over, you know, being stopped because he had a air freshener, which is illegal in some states. But when I was reading up on that law, it looks like a lot of the time they use it as like a preemptive way to stop you to then check for other things. Right. And on top of the fact that they said his license plate were expired, his license plate was expired, but it was so interesting that at the press conference, the first press conference they had when they initially introduced the idea that she meant to tase him, the officer meant to tase him. uh, Someone asked like, aren't you, aware like isn't your police department aware that because of covid there's a serious backlog with you know license plates and all that so why are you even pulling someone over for that purpose like it's and i'm with you i think what was really disheartening to me 
was seeing so many people and myself included because originally when I went to bed that night after they announced the verdict, knowing that a juvenile had been killed by police, I said, you know, let me just kind of celebrate this, what this is for today and then we'll tackle it tomorrow. Right. Right. And then, you know, as soon as I wake up and I turn on the morning news, it's the body cam footage is out. And it turns into, well, she had a knife and she was trying to stab someone. And in my mind, I was kind of like, dang, like. It's not as cut and dry. Right. It, it feels like it's not as cut and dry, but by law, it should still be cut and dry. Because, exactly. I mean, how how many... How many cafeteria workers and bus drivers have broken up a fight between two 15-year-old girls? Like, And the detail, the whole details of that, and I can't wait till they come out because I keep seeing pieces online. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, she was apparently in foster care. They're, the foster mother says that she had some former foster, you know, some of her former foster daughters come over. I think there was an issue about how clean the house was. and But these girls were significantly older than her. And apparently mm-hmm. they had came over for like three days in a row at this point. And I'm just like, there's a lot of things that went wrong, especially among the adults. Right. Um, apparently the girl in the pink that was, what the officer thought would be the intended victim was like maybe 30. I just, I want all those details to come out because it's very confusing and everybody kind of like, what I wanted to say was disheartening was that how everybody kind of like jumped to say it was justified. And like I said, even myself, I kind of was like, "Mm." but then as I thought about it, I'm with you. I'm like, why have we given police this one occupation like the right to be the end all be all to determine when a force is, you know, a deadly force is justifiable or not like to be let off the hook if they made that determination because that's what they felt like. How do we as a society decide that a profession where you only have to do, say, a month or two of training gets to make those very important decision- decisions. And why do we feel like it's either life or death and there's no in-between? Right, right. That's just, that was something that was so disheartening to me. I think I think that's a good question. And I think that, that's the whole criminal justice system in a nutshell. That that's who we've given power to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I guess if you think about it, like when you're a kid and you're growing up and you're learning about economics and how the system works and the judiciary branches, you're taught that like the judge is Supreme Court is the highest. That that tells you the right and the wrong. Um, but I think that that is more on a macro level, right? That is bigger picture. So you have to think about these micro instances of day in, day out, what is happening in communities. And I think that we have given police in this country 
way too much, like you said, power. Mm-hmm. It, like it just shouldn't. I don't. I don't know. So I. So I work for the Correctional Management Institute of Texas currently. Um, our sister um, institute is the Law Enforcement Management Institute. So we basically train correctional professionals and they train law enforcement professionals. In these trainings, it's like you can't train this out of a system that was always meant to do this. The policing system was always meant to perpetrate fear among Black folks as a way of keeping Black people specifically in Latinx in line, you, you know, you think of the war war on drugs. You you think on mass incarceration. You think of stop and frisk and racial profiling. All those things, they're meant to keep you in line. Right. And I think this power hungry craze has just become the culture of the police force. Um, how do you undo that? There, there, I, I couldn't even, I could probably look it up right now of how many actual policemen we have in this country, men and women. Um, but it's just like, how do you undo that? Right. Especially when it's, it seems like it's so specific to U.S. police. Like mm-hmm. it's a, it's a country policing problem. And, a, and like you were saying, I'm sure that has to go back to the origins of policing in the United States. And to answer your question, I don't know if we can, without some sort of outside help, some sort of outside model, I don't know if we could train out, you know, those issues because that's how America was founded. It's what they Mm -hmm. were founded on. And then, so every instance of racism that America was founded on, it stretches out like a tree. The branches stretch out to every different thing, medical, policing, all of that. So it's like, where do we go? Where do we go? Right. We would need some outside influence to be like, have you thought about, have you seen how, have you noticed that in Australia, like, you know, the numbers are completely different. Not saying it doesn't happen, right. but it's completely different. And then on top of the fact that a lot of other countries don't have the free like gun laws that we have. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the times, like they understand how, like if somebody's wielding a knife, there are ways to like deescalate or, you know, to, to remove that weapon, but we don't, we have guns and that's right. that's that that's and the it. person with the gun has the upper hand right and right. it's just like okay he did what he had to do and i'm like did he did he have to did he did he do everything right right it's not they're not trained to use like lethal force as a last result whereas in other countries if you got a knife okay like we're going to be out here hand to hand, hand fisticuffs if we got to, right. to make sure that, and then there was, a, I saw a video online where once again, I hate to compare 
Like, well, they did with the white person was a white guy. He had a gun. Mm-hmm. I mean, not a gun. He had a knife. He stabbed the police officer. Mm-hmm. And the police officer had a gun, was chasing him after he got stabbed, and switched his gun out for his taser. After this man stabbed him. And that, and that, and that's what I was actually about to, to say. To do damage with a knife, you can do damage with a knife, right? Right. But the amount of force and proximity that it takes to do that, it, it's just like, they, it would be different if a case like that had resulted in the same way, not wishing death upon anyone, right? Right. But it would. I think we would be able to better wrap our heads around it if instances where you have the murderer who went into the church in South Carolina, Dylan. Dylan, Dylan mm-hmm. Yeah, he he was allowed to get Burger King to right. to be fed, to be taken in respectfully, almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just it doesn't there if 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 you can't see the clear distinct issue and difference in those situations and there's only one difference. Right. Right. I don't care I don't care how you look at it. Like it's just it it's hard to justify any of their behavior. Like you could have de escalated this. Right. But you chose not to. And it's like don't tell us that we're being unreasonable when we have so many different examples of you de-escalating the situation, even when you're in physical harm, even right. when lethal force is being used against you, we see you continue to, continually de-escalating the situation dependent upon the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. But then suddenly when it gets to people who are black and brown, it was like, oh, I didn't have any other option. Yeah. Do you see how scary that black teenager was? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And it was like, it just kind of blew my mind to see our people going, yeah, yeah, that's that was the right action. He did exactly what he should have did. And it's like, no, like, the other girl should not have been stabbed. Of course not. Right, right. I mean, do I think she really was going to stab her? I can't say. I wasn't there right. in the moment. She didn't stab the girl that was on the ground. And I don't know, but she did swing the knife up like she was going to use it. Yeah. But does that mean that we have to exchange a life for a life? Is what right. I'm saying. Why is it that why is it that no one dying in an instance where the police are called is not the victory? Right. And, and, you know, with the George Floyd um, murder, it just, it it all seems senseless, right? Like Mm -hmm. that, that one, and I think the reason why even, you know, some black folks kind of like, oh, well, you know, he did the right thing in this, in this case versus another case. I think the thing with the George Floyd case is that it just didn't make sense at all. Like it, like we are, we are more okay with vilifying senseless acts mm-hmm. than acts that are a little bit more complicated, right? And it doesn't make it any less wrong in either situation. 
I think that we as humans just like things that are just cut and dry. Right. Right. Black if and it's white, not cut, no gray it, yeah. area. If, if there's gray area, we don't want to touch it. I can see that. And and so I think that's a lot of the reasons why, like, oh well, and we have been taught, even if we even if there's a community like distrust of the police among black folks, we've still been taught that they have the upper hand. Right. We've had the talk. Be respectful. Put your hands on the steering wheel. Don't touch anything. We have, it's been ingrained of us to, to not only fear them, but that they're owed some type of respect. Right. Because of the suit that they wear. Right. Which to me doesn't make sense at all. Because they don't, they're not taught to respect us as human beings. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's, why is a teenage boy, why is a, I'm not sure how tall George Floyd was, but I know that he was a big, he was a big I man. I think he was like six, six, six. Eight. Yeah. Why, why does someone of that stature have to be threatening? When you're the one with the gun and the taser and the baton and the authority to ruin my life, to kill me. Why shouldn't I be afraid of you? Exactly. But I don't think that question gets asked. And you make a good point because um, one of the witnesses was the older gentleman who just lived in the area and he noticed what was going on. So he he was like, I'm nosy. So like, I just kind of hung around mm-hmm. and he was trying to like talk him through it because he was there at the beginning when they attempted to put him in the police car. So up until the point where... You know, they attempted to put him in the police car. He was pretty calm and also very scared because when they initially approached him, they drew a gun on him in his car and had him get out of his car and then handcuffed him. He was completely fine. He sat on the ground handcuffed. He was calm. He was compliant. And then they tried to put him in the back of the squad car. And they showed the inside of the squad car I had never seen thank goodness, the inside of a squad car or one of those SUVs. But it was so compact. It's small. Yeah, more more than usual. Like, more than normally would be. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, my God. And once again, he was a big guy. And that's when he kind of started panicking. And he was like, you know, just... Please, just like I can't breathe, I'm claustrophobic. Like, can you put me on the ground? Like, can you? He said, I'll lay on the ground. And to some people, I guess they were trying to say, like, that was him not complying, that was him resisting. But to most of us, that's us seeing someone who's in distress trying to say, like, this is a trigger for me. Right, right. This is why I'm panicking. I'll comply with you. Can we try another way? But, you know, to the outside looking in, it looks like a scuffle. And the older gentleman who stopped, he, you can hear him saying, like, they got you in the cuffs. You can't win. Like, you can't win. And I just was like, that is so reflective of how we see it. Like, once they get you to a certain point, it's like you can't win. You're at their you're at their mercy and then 
for some reason, all of your humanness goes out the window. Right. It's like you're an object. And, and, and I don't, and I, I hate when people say, let's play devil's advocate, but that's almost how they've been trained in in a little bit to, to kind of do the job that's at hand. The ends are going to justify the means, get it done, which is a problem. Right. Because it removes that human aspect. But then again, why can you see some people as human who are walking around with AK-47, but this man who is telling you, I'm scared, I am claustrophobic, can we please make it happen another way? Right. You see that my legs are almost as long as this backseat. <laughs> like, yes. And to them... And and it was brought up, of course, in the trial, like the defense attorney was like, well, have you ever attempted to arrest someone? And they'll say anything they can get out arrested because nobody likes to be arrested. And I was like, yeah, but once again, there's like a very clear difference from the point where like he's handcuffed he's sitting on the side of the road they get him up like of course no he probably didn't want to go in a police car but if he's telling you like there's there's another way in which like i'm willing to do this he's like can you call like another car can you put me he's like can i sit in the front like he's like listen i'll i'll do what you say but like this is triggering me and instead of seeing like Okay, now this person's in my care because that's another thing they brought up in in your custody in your care. So now this person is in my care. I'm not caring for them, right. and that that stretched into the moment where they weren't considerate of like what might have been going on with him or why he might have been panicking about being in that back seat to. The fact that he's on the ground and he can't breathe and they're saying, well, if you can talk, you can breathe. Or he's like, you know, my neck hurts. And Officer Chauvin's like, "Mm mm-hmm. He's like, my back hurts. Mm -hmm." Like how dismissive they were. Mm -hmm. Not only of him, but then the bystanders who are coming and lingering because they see something that doesn't look right. Like there's just, it was just like, no one mattered at that moment nothing mattered at that moment besides arresting him like not even keeping him alive and for what and it's like the that it shows the lack of the value of life right like his life wasn't valued enough to to listen to him and to hear him out Mm -hmm. you know um it's just it, like you said. No matter how you slice it, it's just hard to wrap your head around. When did his humanness leave? I just couldn't. I could never imagine myself in a position where I am the person in control. I have this level of power given to me, and I am being dismissive of another human. Right. I I, I can't wrap my head around it. And I mean. You have some we have someone like the officer who has had eighteen other I think it was eighteen other incidents of um of complaints or something like that. And it's just there's a problem. 
Like, clearly he isn't meeting up to the type of person that you want to protect and serve. Protect and serve whom? Protect the other three officers that were with him. They protected and served each other. They did nothing for the community, the the store, Mm -hmm. any of that. So it's just like, mm, it's kind of like miss me with the the whole he was just doing his job. He 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 had to do what he had to do because he wasn't complying. Like, um, yeah. like miss me with that completely because it just does not it's senseless. Right. And he tried to use that as like at the end, because I told you that older gentleman was there from like kind of the beginning to the end. And when like when it was over and they had gotten him in the ambulance and had, the ambulance drove to another location just so they could uh try to do what they could do to save his life, you know, Officer Chauvin was just like, "Well, I mean, he's a pretty big guy, so." And it's but just what? like, <laughs> but what does that mean? Like, he breathes like the rest of us. Like, he's big, so. Okay, if he starts like trying to swing on you, like what are what are you afraid of? What does the stature make you afraid of? Because I think even in the Michael Brown case, that was also the issue. He was so big. Okay. It's like and and for all intents and purposes, from what you see, it doesn't look like he's fighting them. It looks like he's resisting going in the back of the truck, but it doesn't like he's physically trying to fight anybody. And I thought it was crazy that they had to bring in, of course, not only, you know, the witnesses that were there that were trying to speak on his behalf, the medical experts, but they also had to like bring in other people to be like, yeah, he was in the store. He was happy. He was dancing. He was talking. Like he seemed to be having a great day. For right. all that we know, like until this event happened, right. he wasn't hurting anybody. He wasn't a danger to anybody. People came in with their children. They walked around him like he wasn't endangering anyone. Right. But suddenly, like you want us all to believe he was just big, dangerous man. And so you had to do what you had to do. And it's like, no. Mm-mm. No, because... It, it's at one point is what point do black men who were black teenagers who were black little boys who were black babies lose their humanity right and i think it just all goes back to the value of a human life and it just goes to show you that in this country black lives don't matter i mean you can say it all day you can do as many protests as you want, but it's going to take a very long time for that humanness to be reinstated. It was never reinstated, so I won't say reinstated, but that humanness for Black lives to be a thing in this country. Right. So what do you feel about, I guess, the actions that they're trying to take? Like, you know, the... Um, Attorney General Merrick Garland announced an investigation into the Minnesota Police Department um, in the state, basically, because they've had so many events to see that, like, if it's something that is statewide, like, if there's a problem with their training or whatnot, like, do you think that's a good start? 
I think it's a good start. Um, but as I said earlier, they're going to protect and serve one another. I mean, how, but you know what? But okay. So, so let's say they investigate and they say, Oh, this is a dissolution of funds that this is very problematic. We're starting from scratch. Right. Right. Claps for you. Snaps for you. That's a good show. But what about all of these other police departments that have the same problem? Fixing one in one city is not going to fix the policing problem in this country. It's not going to, it's not going to, the, the blue has been given so much power. It's not going to intimidate them to fall in line and respect people and see people as human. It's going to make them see people as less human and make sure that no one videos it. Make sure that they're, they can't be held accountable and, and, likely be more conscious of trying to protect themselves that they're even more reckless with human lives. That That is my fear. So I think that it is a good start. I think that it looks good, um, but it's performative almost. Because That's fair. Wh- why, are you just, why are you just waiting until now that the verdict that you, because you know what, I guess you probably also didn't think he was going to get a guilty verdict. The Justice Department, because when has that happened? So now you have to save your ass <laughs> and and have to look like on a federal level you're doing something about it, right? Well, I mean, to be fair, did you think the previous Justice Department would have done it? No, <laughs> I, I, you know, absolutely not, absolutely not. Um, and you know what? I honestly. Say what you want about Joe and Kamala. I've not seen a presidential administration address issues of race and policing in this country like they have. Now, right. could they do better? Could they? But they, everybody can do better, right? Right. But it is taking it piece by piece. So that is why, even though I say, yes, this is performance, this seems performative. Mm-hmm. You have to show me that you're going to change. Right. Right. You're going to have to show me that if something like this happens again, which we all know it will, unfortunately, then you're going to take action and you're going to hold the entire department accountable. I think that is the that is maybe the only way to start some change when people know that, you know, their funding is going to be right reduced or, or the department will be dissolved. You know, mm-hmm. and to be fair, I do want to say that what probably was different about this case is that, and once again, it could be performative, but it appears that the police department acted kind of swiftly. Now, there was backlash that right. had to take place before, you know, he and the rest of the officers were fired, but. We saw the his chief, his police chief of his department. We saw the Minnesota police chief. We saw the training, the use of force trainers and all those experts in the department actually kind of what they call it, break through that blue wall of silence and actually testify against what he did. And then you do have 
a mayor in not a mayor but the um governor of minnesota who's like we welcome this like we want this we you kind of see a difference in minnesota now once again that's one state out of the 50 that it looks like they tried to do the right thing in this case which i think made a difference when you have a police chief that's willing to say that was wrong, that was murder, like right. up front right. about it in the beginning, you have right. his department chief that was like, who fired him? I can say, I can give them props for that. Right, right. I, but that's I the bare minimum. That. <laughs> bare minimum. You get props. Okay, let me see what, what it is going to be from here on out. Let me see what the rest of this is going to look like. Let me see what it is 10 years down the road. Let me see what your police department looks like then. Let me see if you're going to keep an officer on the front line with 18 complaints and and misconduct. Are you still doing that? Is this just a slap on the wrist? And is this just to say, hey, look, we're doing the right thing. And it's, I hate to be so jaded like that, right? Um... But in this field, in the criminal justice, criminal legal field, um, there's very few instances where these entities change unless the change comes from the top. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. Uh, and, you know, you're you're right. Like, they did address it very swiftly. And even, like, personally with uh, the officer, like, his wife was like, dissolution of marriage like right well so you there's some questions there because some people are like were they doing that like to protect assets or what uh, but like i don't okay i don't think i saw her at all doing and they didn't really show like family and stuff they really only focused on you yeah. know him his lawyer and the defense and all that stuff and the witnesses and the judge but we haven't really heard anything from her since that dissolution of marriage so Mm -hmm. even when it looks like good news it's still kind of like i gotta double think things so i don't i don't know if that word that was exactly the reason but i know someone did bring that up because i haven't seen her say anything against what he did you know what i'm saying we haven't seen you know anything from his family so it's just It's like to think that on top of state-sanctioned violence, we have mass shootings. And it's like every every other news story is either a mass shooting or a police shooting. And it's just like so tiring. And it's just like I can't even keep up. The news can barely keep up. Like I I saw a story where like, there were like two shootings in Tennessee, I think it was, but the the reporter got it confused because she thought she was talking about one, but it was like one happening simultaneously. And it's just like, that's crazy. That's crazy. That on top of a normal person with no authority, just deciding one day they might want to come shoot up the grocery store. We also have the people we would call for help that might actually shoot us too. They might think we're the shooter and we call for help. (laughs) Well, and not even that, um, in Austin, I think either last week or the week before last here in Austin, they, well, I'm in the Houston area, but in Austin, they 
it was an ex-cop who mm. went on a rampage and right. shot like three or four people. So right. it's like, it, it's just like, okay, so like, what do you do in those circumstances? Like, exactly. Like, it's just, it, it's, and it, it, it confuses me that we don't think there is an issue with gun violence in this country. And I say we, not as in me and you, but we as in a country as a whole, don't take issue with that and say, hmm, maybe we're not doing something right. Congress. (laughs) And I I hate to say Congress because you you have one side who's very actively saying like, okay, well, these are the bills that we've written up. These are the ways that we want to. And then you have another side going, mm, mm, I don't like that. Right. And it's just like, well, what do we do? And it's just like, we can't come together enough to fix things. Even when children are getting are involved. like Sandy right. Hook should have been like, Oh, we should have been like, what? No, not the babies. But instead it was just like, Ugh. You better get them teachers' guns. It's like, what? Yeah, I yeah, I don't. It doesn't make sense. And it just allows it to continue to happen. And, and you know, we sensationalize it almost, which desensitizes us to it and makes it the norm. Right. So when we read things like that, it's no, it's no longer a shock value. Right. We've lost that shock value. And that's a whole nother talk for a different day. Like, yeah. you know, the shows that we watch and what we see on the news. And, Propaganda. And, right. Right. <laughs> how how we're like, you know, rooting for the bad guy to get hurt on the TV show. But then it's like in real life. It's kind of a different story. Or is it? I think it gets very confused, very distorted almost. Mm. But, you know, okay. I think overall with this verdict. I was I was happy to hear it. I was very I didn't like I said I didn't watch the trial, but I knew that they were coming back in like thirty minutes, and so I was kind of keeping privy to like my news alerts and things like that. But like my heart was just like in my stomach, mm. like it was just I just felt sick. I felt sick and I felt anxious, and I think it was that expectation that nothing would be that he would be found not guilty. So to have guilty on all three accounts was great to see and is the first level of accountability with the state-sanctioned violence that happens within the police departments against black and brown bodies in this country. But it's still like, okay, now what? Right, exactly. So... That will be the question that we'll have to continue to ask uh, here in America. But yeah, all we can do is try to take it day by day, one day at a time. Get our vaccines so we can try. I know to have that's a right. Shot girl summer. <laughs> look, look, Moder- Moderna mommy over here, Moderna yes. mommy. I'm I'm fully fully vaccinated. You know, Pfizer priestess or whatever you want to call me. I don't <laughs> care. I, I'm fully vaccinated up so i had to take a some time off last week because it, it took me out a little bit but fully vaccinated up so that's uh we'll probably see um even more craziness coming out of the u.s then but Unfortunately. fingers crossed we can at least just have a good summer 
Um, But thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. I appreciate this talk and your insight. It was uh, a blast. It's good to see you. Thank you for asking me. And thank all you guys for listening this week. This has been Did You Hear The News?